Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Some of the best designers in the world come from Italy. Like, starting with Michelangelo, they, they design Lamborghinis and Ducatis. And for some reason, the bathroom of your hotel room has just totally eluded them. Michelangelo, known for his historic and stunning sculpture work, but not known for his hotel bathroom. If you go into any bathroom, like, you know, like a, there's a restaurant, and, and now you go to use the ladies' room, and there's no seat on the toilet. Why wouldn't you have a seat here? I think you might be on another travel show that punks American tourists. They're, they're filming the bathroom. They're like, look at this. This woman thinks there's, we actually don't have seats in Italy. <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Eben. I'm Tim. And Samantha Brown is here today, and I'm so excited for this one. She was the host of Great Hotels and Passport to Europe when I was, I think, in middle school. And those shows were pretty much the first time I realized people could actually leave their own country and go to other ones. So <laughs> I've been a longtime fan. She's been in the game for over 20 years, and now she's here to talk to us about travel burnout, what happens behind the scenes of travel shows, packing tips, how the industry's changed, her rivalry with Rick Steves, and her new show, Places to Love. But first, Tim, we're going to hit some hot takes. You ready? I'm ready, buddy. All right. My first take for you is, are you more likely to buy something if your favorite actor is promoting it? Probably, yeah. Really? I thought you were too pragmatic for that. What I'm more likely to buy now is I'm more likely to buy clothes or something if I see, like, a snowboarder wearing it. Like, if I see Jeremy Jones wearing it, I'll probably buy it. But that's because he's promoting snowboarding clothes and he is a snowboarder, so he has a level of, like, authority. I guess I'm saying, would you buy, would you sign up for Mint Mobile because Ryan Reynolds is promoting it? No, definitely not. And if you're, if you're a huge Ryan Reynolds fan. I think I misunderstood the question because I took it to mean, like, would I buy something if an authority figure in that space told me to buy it? And the answer is generally yes, if I respect that figure. But but no, not assuming something... they're telling the truth and they actually use like assuming that snowboarder guy you just mentioned, actually, you trust him to be using that product in his real life. Right, right. But you never know. They you, do or you not. You never know. But yeah, something like a phone plan, probably not. But like clothes, gear, stuff like that. Yes. Okay. Because it's like, they, I feel like they always trot out the, like, Tom Hanks to promote, uh, like, insurance or something. It's like, oh, Tom Hanks, most trusted man in Hollywood. He doesn't know anything about insurance. What does he know? I'm not going to trust Tom Hanks with my life insurance. But I feel like that works. That's, I mean, they spend millions of dollars on these people. Obviously, their analytics people are saying this works. This strategy works. So people are making life decisions, purchasing decisions based on favorite celebrities promoting it. Yeah, and I always have wondered that my whole life, actually. I've always wondered, like, how factual are the studies that say that this stuff works? Like, because marketing itself is so hard to define key metrics on. Like, you don't know necessarily, unless you're tracking a click on the Internet, if something worked. Like, 100% you don't know that. I feel like it does work, though. And I feel like it's working on us, and we don't know it. Oh, for sure. Uh, it wouldn't keep happening if it didn't work. But it's like, as the consumer, you like to think that it doesn't work on you. And you like to question the strategy behind it. 
but maybe we're all just maybe we're all just fools and they're just running trains on us with like shoving these celebrities down our throat and then we end up buying everything six months later uh, right because right? we remembered it from that commercial I feel the same way about Super Bowl ads that they spend all this money to make them funny and clever and memorable and by the end of the ad I'm like well that was funny I laughed I have no idea what the product is I have no idea what they're selling and even if I do, I'm certainly not going to buy the product because the ad was funny. You know, I'm not going to buy something I don't need because they made me laugh at the commercial. I don't know. Like, I wonder how the, the, the marketing team is justified spending millions and millions of dollars on having like celebrities in ads, on, spe- on, on having like really clever scripts for Super Bowl commercials. Are people laughing and then being like, oh, that was hilarious. I'm going to go buy that Swiffer now because they made me laugh in the commercial. No, if I don't need a Swiffer, I'm not going to buy a Swiffer. I mean, you of all people should know this, Evan. The reason they're doing that, Mr. Newswriter, is because they get a bunch of articles written about their ad the next day. That's why they're doing it. They're basically buying branded content. They're buying branded content in every major media company at the same time. Now that you say it, it just sounds so obvious. I feel like an absolute idiot for not realizing that. But yeah, okay, we're going to move on from this. Pretend that never happened. Uh, My next thought take is, if you could host a travel show, what would it be? I would love, and I, I think I've noted this before, I would love to host a travel show where I go to co-working spaces and, like, talk to the people at the co-working spaces about what they're doing. And, like, disrupt their workday? I'm sure they love yeah. that. Yeah, totally, yeah. So I'll go in there and I'll disrupt their workday, and then I'll uh, I'll give a talk that night about my life coaching plan that I want them to sign up for. <laughs> like, I, I would love to host a, a show about that. So you go to a co-working space? Yeah, but then there's this guy that comes in every day and won't stop talking to me about the co-working space and how, like, how productive I am. And I'm just like, dude, leave me alone. No, actually, you know what I would love to do is I would love to do a travel show where I go to, to Bali and, and then just follow around all of these, like, lifestyle, like, health influencers and just call out all of their nonsense. I think that would be a great travel show. Heckling influencers. Yeah. That's good. Heckling influencers. That's right. And we talked a little bit about this in the interview. I would want to do a travel slash dating show hybrid. And I came, up, I, I came up with this idea. It's not fully formed, but it's basically where you have a, the subject of each episode, new person each time, is looking for a plus one to a wedding back home. So he's looking for a plus one, but they send this person to another country preferably a place where they'll experience a lot of culture shock so it's like a you know a businessman from new york they send him to cambodia and he has basically two weeks to find a wedding date a plus one to his wedding so he's got to you know deal with the language barrier deal with cultural differences he's staying in you know not a nice place he's staying in maybe like a hostel or a, a like a budget hotel and he's got to basically find somebody to agree within two weeks to be a date to his wedding back in the u.s and I think the kicker would be if he does find somebody to agree to be his wedding date, he can't say, they can't say it's for a show. He basically has to all be organic. So if he does find someone to agree, at the end, he has to basically say, hey, so just so you know, I am looking for a wedding date. I do need a plus one. This is for a show. You can decide, like the host comes out and says, you can decide to go back with this guy to the wedding as promised, or you can have $10,000 to renege, leave this guy to, to fly solo and pretend like this never happened. So then that tests the strength of that relationship that's been built over the course of two weeks. So it's, do you take the $10,000 to pretend like the interaction never happened? 
or do you stick to your word? Does does the does the uh, the plus one stick to their word and travel back to the U.S. with the protagonist? I guess you'd say. I mean, I so I think this is what we pitched to uh, Alex Boylan as as a show. I think this is it. I think that's a good idea. Oh, if though, and this is the this is the catch: the person that comes out to offer the ultimatum has to be Ashton Kutcher. It has to be Ashton Kutcher. And it has to be just like punked where he walks out of like like a, the next house over and he walks across the yard with like a crew of people and he's like super cool walking right. up and everybody's laughing because they just got you. Like it's got to be like that. Okay. Yeah, that's, this is good. I, 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 too bad we didn't have time to flesh this whole thing out on the interview because maybe Samantha could have been a, uh, a contender as a host. But Okay. All right. Now, now we have our shows lined up. We can stop doing this this fucking podcast and become uh, travel TV show stars. Um, well, that is my last hot take. So it's your turn now. All right. Well, my first hot take for you today, Evan, is I'm, I'm sure you're aware that there are you know articles, apps, people, etc., that will tell you that booking a flight on a certain day of the week or at a certain time or whatever is going to get you the best fare. And I'm curious if you have ever followed that advice. I read like five years ago that flights were cheapest on Tuesday mornings. Yeah, I've also read that, and I've I've tried to book flights on Tuesday mornings. I've never really found it to be that much of. A and place. I've I've same thing. I've I've looked. I'm like, if I'm going to book a flight, I might as well wait a few days till it's Tuesday morning, and maybe the fare will be cheaper. It never is. If anything, it's more expensive because I waited, but I still will continue to do it because I want to feel like I'm taking actionable steps to, to make my flight cheaper. And if I do get a $5 cheaper flight on Tuesday morning, I can feel like, yeah, because I know this hack. I know the Tuesday morning hack. Yeah. You know? But I don't, I know, I'm not convinced that it, that it makes any difference whatsoever. In fact, I would probably recommend people, if you know where you want to go and you find a flight you like, just book it immediately because the more you wait, you're more likely to have the fare go up by waiting than you are to get a discount by waiting until some arbitrary Tuesday morning time frame. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that there's I think it's more likely that there is something that has to do with the fare changing based on how far it is between now and the flight. Right. I don't right. know the exact answer to that, but I have seen differences both up and down by waiting till, you know, six weeks or a month out and then buying the flight based on buying it like four or five months in advance. That, there is a notable dis- yeah. difference there. You never know. You can't predict it. You can get apps like Hopper, but... Just, just buy the flight. Buy the flight. Buy the flight. Just book the flight. Just book it. Right. Book it. You won't do it. You won't book it. Book it. Settled. Issue settled. My next hot take for you today, Eben, is who do you find to be the most effective travel TV host? And this is kind of based on our, our, our interview today. Uh, I'm curious, what, what do you look for in a travel TV host and why? So I don't watch a lot of travel television anymore. I used to watch Samantha Brown a lot when I was in, like, again, I think middle school, early high school maybe. I watched some of Rick Steves. I'll be totally honest. I didn't find him quite as engaging. What I look for is honesty. And I think that's a tough thing to to get in the world of travel. And I say that as someone who writes about travel and is frequently dishonest and writes about (laughs) places that I didn't enjoy but pretend like I did. So I think honesty is what I look for. I don't know if you have anyone in mind or what the contemporary world of travel hosts uh, look like. And I understand that you can't 
be a travel TV show and go to a restaurant in Rome and be like, oh, well, the pizza here sucks, and then like expect to be invited back because that's just not how travel TV works. Right. And, you know, honestly, like that's what I always liked about Bourdain is I felt like he was he was more raw than a lot of the super polished travel TV. Um, and I've always, you know, he's the guy that got me into travel TV and, and travel media. So I've always compared everything to him. Um, and maybe he's not always the best guy to base comparisons to other people on because that's kind of his persona is being this like raw punk rock guy that just says things and. Uh, but that's kind of what has, that's what appealed to me about his show, uh, all of his shows, with the exception of the layover. The layover was crap, but his other shows were great. I, I think more so than being negative or complaining, it's just about presenting actionable and useful advice and being honest, which I think is what you're saying was why Bourdain was so popular. I mean, you see these travel hosts just pop from one European country to another, from one like from Asia to Africa to wherever, and they don't tell you how to get there. They don't tell you about passport restrictions or visa requirements or difficulty crossing borders. It's just they magically show up and they're just there having a great time. So stuff like that, I think, could really benefit people. Actionable, honesty, that's what I appreciate. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I there are hosts, there are multiple hosts that do that. Uh, and have done that over the years. And I think those are the people that have the lasting legacies. So that's that, that's cool. Tim Winger and Eben Diskin, those are the two travel hosts that I like. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can call us travel hosts. We're hosts of this but show. Now that but... You, yeah, but now that you finally figured out the TV concept, we can make our big that's debut. True. That's true. Well, speaking of travel hosts, we're going to get into it with one of my favorites, Samantha Brown, coming up next. We'll see you guys on the other side. Samantha Brown is one of the OG travel hosts. You probably know her from classic travel shows like Great Hotels, Passport to Europe, and Great Weekends. And since 2018, she's hosted the show Places to Love on PBS. But more important than all of that, she was my middle school crush for I'm pretty sure about three weeks. So Samantha, <laughs> welcome to No Blackout Dates. Three weeks? Wow, that's that's a long time in middle school. I know. I think I discovered Rachel Ray or something, but no offense. I was going to say, who took my place? Blossom? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so I'm obviously excited to have you on, and I wanted to talk about uh, your travel habits, first of all. I read that you travel 230 days per year. Do you ever get burnout being on the road all the time? Like, I always used to wonder what your family and the families of all travel hosts thought about them being gone all the time. Well, 230 days was before I had kids, and ah, I did that go. for eight years. And so then I had kids, which let me remind you, um, it's really hard to have kids when you're away 230 days out of the year. It's just like it's either immaculate conception or you got to make time. Um, but then after kids, it's been about 150 days. So it really scaled back big time. Um, but to your question about travel burnout, certainly, um, yeah, I... I suffer from it a lot. I'm not suffering from it now. <laughs> I would love to be traveling now. I'm, I'm home for a few more months before we start traveling again. But it is real and, and there are a lot of, lot of coping mechanisms put in place um, that I learned um, the hard way to, to, to implement. And what are some of those? 
get out and be with people. Um, really, when I started my job with the Travel Channel, it was really about the must-sees. So I spent all my time showing like the Roman Colosseum and here we are at the Parthenon. And um, I just found that at the end of my day, it was just like, what, what am I gonna do? I don't know if I really enjoy doing this. And it was when the cameras were off that I just walked. I walked and I went to where the neighborhoods were. There wasn't anything major there. There wasn't a ruin. There wasn't a major museum. It was just a neighborhood where people lived. And I really found that to be just you know, just soul satisfying, just being with people in their everyday lives. And that's what I would do at the end of every day, just be with people. Um, and that sort of slowly started to become what I do now in my show. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that really was the impetus of changing who I was as a traveler, is becoming less and less enamored of just going to places and seeing architecture and understanding the history of the place and really being with people as they were today. That's what I've always wondered is when you do this for a living, something that's enjoyable as a hobby, does it become work and does it kind of lose the pleasurable aspect? Oh, it's, de it's definitely work. There is no yeah. doubt about it. And I think anybody who does this, even yourself, like there's, there are expectations. There are people who are um, watching you for other things other than you just having the time of your life. And um, whether you have to write something that has to be something that people want to read or be on camera and kind of know what you're talking about, there's a lot of work. And there's a lot of things that get in the way of you doing good work. So if you're an on-camera television host, you're out there. So there's traffic, there's people yelling, there's people bumping into you. You have to take, do take after take after take after take. So it's not just like one and go, we're done. Um, you have to be very mindful of things coming at you, uh, uh, behind you, and um, you are in life. And so sometimes the days stretch out a little longer because you are there doing a job. Going on the, the, you know, the note of traveling all the time for work, kind of changing the perspective of it, I'm curious how your family and your kids perceive travel after watching you do it for all these years and I imagine doing a fair amount of travel themselves. Is it something that your family is as excited about as your persona is on TV? Yes, absolutely. I started traveling with my twins when they were two months old and let me tell you, it is hard. That changes everything um, when you are with children. Um, but Tim's yeah, got they two months, it. right, Tim, for you? Tim's just, Tim is a two month old. Three months, I, my daughter okay. is three months, and we're t yeah we're taking her on her first out of state trip this weekend. Actually, nice, so. excellent. Get her get her used to it. And um, I remember I talked to someone about uh, who had two sets of twins. I didn't know that was possible. Ooh. And I said, well, what, what's your advice? And he gave me the best advice, and I absolutely adhere to it. He goes, get them out of their stroller immediately. Make them be walkers. You can't be a traveler unless you are a walker. So that's kind of your first skill that you want to teach any child is you will be walking <laughs> and you will be tired and I will not be carrying you. Or these so. days, just throw them in an Uber. <gasps> that's so true. That is, that is easy very solution. True. Speaking of like when you're touring around these, these, you know, cities like Rome or wherever in Europe and you're seeing these cool ancient monuments, you said you used to do a lot more architecture stuff. And what I remember from great hotels and from Passport to Europe was seeing the Colosseum and seeing ancient ruins, whereas now you might be more about meeting local people. But I always remembered every time you go into a cathedral or a museum or ruins or a restaurant or whatever it was, everything was always amazing. Everything was always the coolest thing you'd ever seen. I always, Even then, I'd, I'd wonder, can everything be as amazing <laughs> as you make it sound all the time? And 
I was like, I wonder if there's ever a time where she walks in and she's like, you know what? Underwhelming. Not impressed. Kind of sucks. <laughs> but like, I, I gotta like, cameras turn on and it's like, oh my god, these cathedral ceilings. So was there ever some time a time where you were underwhelmed, not impressed, and you had to kind of turn that on for the camera? Yeah, yeah, there is that. There, um, there is that. But I will say. Um, a lot of times when I'm underwhelmed about things, I understand it's like my own personal sort of, I'm not having a very good day. And then I get into this attitude, like you have to impress me. And that's not what travel is about, right? Travel is about meeting a place halfway. And so I'll go into a hotel and I'll be like, oh, you know, or, um, you know, this, and, but then I'll, I'll observe a family come in and I'll observe other people and how they interact. And I get it, like maybe I can become a little bit more cynical because I've had so much experience that maybe I should just give this place a break, right? So when it, whenever I feel uh, um, that pl a place is at fault or it's a little, you know, not what the expectation is, I just kind of sort of check my own, I don't know, privilege of where I've been and what I've been able to experience. And I dial that, that cynicism down. And uh, so I guess um, in the beginning, yeah, like if you watch my great hotels, but I mean, come on! I was staying in really nice hotels, sure, and sure, yeah. growing up, I we we stayed like motor lodges, and I actually had to sleep in the bathtub at night. That like that was my family, so I never got to stay in these unbelievable hotels. So that when I started jumping on beds and stuff, that was totally natural because I could not believe I was staying in these five star hotels, right? Where you know you, you'd see kids, you're you know when you were ten, they were ten, and they're eating a $25 hamburger. And you're like, oh my God, and they're not finishing it. I'm like, do you know what would right. happen to me if I didn't finish a $25 hamburger? So a lot of the great hotels absolutely was me just being like, wow, this is how the other half lives. It's pretty nice. Do you find it though hard to ever go back though? Like I, I found that since I started traveling for work and staying in nicer places that are not coming straight out of my wallet, uh, now I'm like a snob. When I'm going yeah. <laughs> on the road with my wife and my daughter, I want to stay in a nice hotel. I don't want to go back to the to the Howard Johnson. Do you know? Do, do you find that at all? You know, it's interesting, uh, Tim. I've actually I've gone that way, and now I've come back. Or I just want the hotel to work, right? I don't want your fancy like you know. I have to spend seventy dollars to have a decent breakfast and still have to wait forty five minutes to get cold toast, even though I've paid fifteen dollars for that toast. I love those like chain hotels, whether it's Marriott or Hilton or Hyatt or whoever, they all have that level of hotel that like you get your own little kitchen. Um, maybe there's a breakfast in the morning. Mm -hmm. No one bothers you. Um, I just, I like the efficiency. I like the efficiency of a good solid, like brand boring hotel these days. <laughs> so, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. There is something just so special about the continental breakfast, you know, that like you can stay at a five star, star hotel you can sit there, you can spend 20 minutes perusing the menu, you can wait another 20 minutes to get your food. It's not, it's a half of the portion you get at a continental breakfast at Hampton Inn. And there's, you're sitting there, you're like, all right, this is nice, I spent 35 bucks. But like, there's something so nice about the stale muffins, the endless cereal <laughs> selection. It's, it's, just, it's just youth, nice. It's you know? just nice to have the freedom and it comes, yeah. with, the, it comes with the room, it's all included, exactly. it's great. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Places to Love, the show you're doing right now. It's on PBS. Take us through the show and uh, what people who haven't seen it can expect. Sure. Well, Places to Love is when I'm the executive producer, and that means I own the travel show. 
So uh, I, when I worked with the Travel Channel, I was paid to be a host. So that means I owned nothing, not even my brand. And I wanted to change that. And Places to Love really also represented my approach to travel, which was not being sort of hurt anymore at that network. Um, I really wanted to focus more on people and the idea that there is um, an effort that goes into creating the soul of a place and that effort comes from its people and it's about getting to know them and their effort to understand these experiences that we as travelers really just get to roll in and have this experience. But when we know people and how hard people have to work to have this business that you're walking in and maybe enjoying a meal or talking to an artist and their art, um, when we understand how hard they've worked to have that, we want to support that as travelers. And this essence of, of not becoming a consumer anymore, but really um, transferring into more being a community member and supporting that effort. So where is that? Where is that for the traveler? Um, it, it isn't just making a point of purchase uh, and moving on. It's really about contributing to the livelihoods of people who have done great things um, in this world. So that's what Places to Love is about. I could call it People to Love, but then you wouldn't think it was a travel show. So, all right. So, it'd, it'd be a travel um, dating show, which is what I've been yeah, trying to, a tra- to, to, to no, conceive of for a while. I think that's the next big thing. Travel dating show. Combine the I, two. That is a great idea. Yes. That is Because, you, you know, you meet so many people abroad and they're Americans. You're like, why are you here? Like, a, a guy. <laughs> You're yeah, like, seriously. oh, yeah. You've got, yeah. you got shows like The Bachelor. You've got shows like yours. Right. Just combine the two. Combine Super, the it's, two. Hey, you can have that one. Take it. Just credit yeah, me in yeah, the, in the, in the cre- credits if you want. But <laughs> you got Travel it. dating show. So, yeah, places to love. How, and how is the focus of your shows kind of shifted since the great hotels days? So it sounds like you're. it's kind of evolved from being a uh, destination-centric monument-centric, the Eiffel Towers, the Coliseums, to now really a street-level, let's take a look at the people that make this place great rather than the uh, landmarks that make it great. Yeah, and, and there's definitely an understanding of why people love this place, and there is a monument, or maybe there is something historic, but we also, then then we try to approach it, we tried to enter it from a new way, so instead of, so when we were in Xi'an, China, Everyone goes there to see the Terracotta Warriors, as I did 10 years before when we went there. And it's amazing, you know, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, these 8,000 Terracotta Warriors were built and buried for this mausoleum, for the, the basically the, the birth of China they represent. And so you're there and you're just absorbing that history. And that was our first time. But for the second time, for Places to Love, sort of the treatment there was to find that person um, who works at in and with the terracotta warriors to understand? But what does it mean to the people today? I get that this is history. I understand that there was this was important for a moment in time, for a long uh, a long moment. What does it mean for the people today? And we were able to find that one person. Thankfully, he spoke a bit of English, and he was a doctor who was in that ma- mausoleum with the terracotta warriors, and he would sit there with his brush and slowly brush away you know, 5,000 years of clay and dirt, and all of a sudden he would see an eye. And so we asked, well, what does that feel like? And he just says, you know, it's just the past. And he said he'll always greet him and say, hello, friend, and he'll start to talk to them. And then all of a sudden, we're not just these people from America going, well, isn't that cool? Man, that is so old. That's really amazing. But understanding the connection of, a, uh, of the Chinese to 
these terracotta warriors. It's so much more than what was in the past. It absolutely comes into the present. So that's what we do with, with sort of a historical um, entity in Places to Love. It's always understanding the emotion, the emotional value of that experience. Do you find that, and I, I imagine you do because you know, you're, you're so passionate about telling these stories, but do you find that travelers nowadays, due to the availability of media such as yours, care more about these things and care about getting a little deeper and want to understand the story behind the places they visit rather than just the photo? Yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's two types of people, I feel, um, are here. We have uh, the baby boomers, right? So they started traveling in their 60s. They had their kids. Now they're back. They're back traveling. And they don't care about the Eiffel Tower anymore. They don't care about the Colosseum. Or if they are going to go back and see these places, they want a new way in, another understanding. Then you have the millennials who never cared about that. They just want to meet people. They want to have these experiences that somehow tell them, what is this life all about? Why are we here on earth? What is the most meaningful way I can enjoy? It's really phenomenal to me how those two massive generations, the baby boomers and the millennials, have very similar travel uh, tendencies, travel trends, are you know, um, and and personalities. And there's the, the I don't even know what I am. I think I'm a Gen Xer. We just want to relax. <laughs> like so, when I talk to people my age who have kids, they're like, "Yeah, I I want to I want a lounge chair, and I want someone to bring me a drink." That's and actually, what I want. Gen Xers don't want to travel at all. They just want to chill yeah. out and do nothing. Exactly. They're so you know burnt out, and I understand that. But so there are two. There's it's a certain type of person who likes that, and luckily they're the, at least the baby boomers. They're the PBS audience. So. Tim, you're baby boomer, right? I, yep, I am. I, I'm, you know, I'm big four O's coming up for Tim. I'm pushing ahead towards the. Uh, I I want to go to the Eiffel Tower, yeah. not just a photo of it. I want to I want to eat at the restaurant at the top. That's what I want to do now. I want the restaurant at the nice, top. Nice, nice. And the industry as a whole. Uh, so I know we talk about generational change. How is the the travel industry just in the past? You know, 10, 15 years since you've been in the game. How has that changed? I mean, it's just gotten so huge. It really has gotten this to be this massive industry um, that at the best of times, and I think this wasn't when I first started, and now you're really seeing that, understands that more than being an industry, it's a, it's a group of really caring people. And to really um, expose that a little more. So now when we stay in hotels, there's always more of a local feel. Even in your basic, you know, cookie cutter chain hotel, you'll start to see like a cute, uh, a cool bar inside. So they're using it more of as, as a community space. I really see that a lot more with hotels. Um, as uh, I, I think they understand that everyone has all of this knowledge now, right? Uh, it's just, it's, you know, when I first started, we didn't have the internet, which is just crazy to me. You know, everything has to be, had to be found through like a travel agent or a friend that traveled well and you, you knew. And now everyone can find that information. So the travel industry as a whole works harder to keep, get your attention and keep it. And so you see a lot more of them understanding, I think, that when we travel, we do want to have more personal experiences. There is more of the, hey, no one's coming here just to have you know, the, the, the quick, you know, bus tour in and out um, experience. And I feel that with the travel industry as a whole. I mean, I'm really generalizing here, but I feel even though it's gotten bigger, it's gotten more personalized. Well, and the difference too is that it's so accessible to everybody now. 
I mean, you used to be one of the only people doing what you do. Well, like you and Rick Steves, like you could you have to turn on TV and watch whatever great hotels. And that's how that would be my portal into seeing Europe. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now you can fire up YouTube, you can go to TikTok, anyone could be a creator, anyone can create and produce content and get thousands of viewers just like that. So it's almost like with the industry so open and so big now, with all the influencers, all the bloggers, anyone, all these people with followings, everyone is like their own mini TV show host on their own social platform. And is that, I don't know, is that good? I tend to think it's, despite being one of those people writing for a travel website, I tend to think it's not good. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on it myself. Yeah, they haven't toppled you yet. You're still doing it. That's so true. I used to be somebody. No, no, I get it. So I think the, the pros of, of Instagram influencers and whatnot is that um, you see a much greater diversity of people showing travel. Um, travel television sucks when it comes to diversity, right? It's mostly white men. And then the one woman who came along is also white. Okay, yay, I, I'm one of the few women out there, but I'm also a certain color. And I got to tell you, I mean, even as... Um, as a, a, you know, even before this, you know, whole awakening, I really saw this as this is terribly unfair because when I'm watching a man travel, um, I know right away there are things I can't do because I'm not a man. And so there is something to be said for representation. And even if I'm in a certain situation, I know a lot of my black female friends are like, well, how would they like me? So I, I think all of that is good that we just see a, a, a wide range of not only diversity and color, but of, of abilities out there traveling, giving them, giving people tips uh, of how to do it uh, um, better. But I think, you know, on the downside of that is it's just so for me ephemeral when I'm seeing someone on Instagram and they'll show a picture of that picture of Mykonos of that bar that also you know, brought up to the to the water and there's no one at the bar and it's just this beautiful picture and you're like that is going to be nobody's experience nobody's you know the trevi fountain is just them and their their camera no one's going to have that experience and so i feel like there's a, a part of travel that they're making it more of a um just like a photo shoot where everything's perfect and and hey listen i i've got cameras going and there are times where like okay we could, we should stop rolling the cameras here um, just because something, you know, you just, you're just trying to, you're not trying to make it perfect, but you just know what, what just happened or something is just not representative of the experience. So I'm not going to be saying that I do this documentary style travel show where we just go nitty gritty and we show everything as is. Um, but there is sort of this perfecting of the travel experience through Instagram that I just feel like you're setting people up so that if they don't have a perfect experience, they're going to think travel has failed them. And that's the exact opposite. Right. Travel is just go with it. You know, what's going to happen? Nothing, nothing ever goes right when you travel. And that's the best part. Right. How do you how do you adjust? And I know that might be too much to ask for, like an Instagram handle. But so, you know, if I'm following someone, I, I do get a little tired of just how perfect things are and and how it feels more of a like a, a fashion photo shoot than showing a real travel experience. And I, I've seen it even in content. I remember a few, it was a handful of years ago now, and I saw an article on a travel site that was called How to Take Travel Photos So That It Looks Like You're the Only Person There. And I I couldn't help but think that that, that is the type of content that is 
pushing along the the ruining of the travel experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, and and, and we do a lot. So um, when I say like we're, we're not, you know, we're just not we're not a documentary with hidden cameras showing you know what go, you know just what happens. There's a lot of architecture of what we do, but yeah, what we we never purposefully like change something like that like no one's there or we'll, we'll wait till it's less people but um yeah i feel like that that's um that's not really showing a place as is well it's like those pictures of people co-working or uh not co-working but remote working on the beach in bali and we always talk about this like no one sits on the beach with their laptop and remote works like nobody does that <laughs> but that's all you see all over instagram hashtag office for the day no no it's not can't, you can't see the screen when the sun is glaring at you the whole time. Exactly. So. <laughs> now, given all of that, all that we've discussed, is there still an appetite going forward for traditional travel show? I know your show is available on, online as well. Uh, but for traditional travel shows with this rise of quickly digestible kind of on-demand, quick-hit YouTube videos, Instagram clips, or is that 10 years from now, do you think the traditional medium is going to kind of fade? No, I, I think the exact opposite. I think as we are going more towards quick, 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 people are going to appreciate the time spent. They're going to read the longer articles. They're going to um, enjoy the longer um, television shows um, because that's that's what we have time to do, which is lovely. It's why I, I, I could have gone the YouTube route, but I'm like, I don't know how to do a 10-minute show about a place. We really want to get to know could um, get to know people. So I don't feel that that's true. Um, and um, I lost, lost my thought there. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I think there's room for everything. Like right now, I'm, I'm in the process of buying a record player and speakers and spending a lot of money going back to hearing records again because I'm so sick of just, just telling Alexa to play, you know, Yacht Rock. Like, no, I, I want my kids to see music. I want them to be able to put a needle down and hear it and be able to move it around and understand a, an artist's entire idea of, of what an album was, not this one little song here and there. I feel like you're missing out so much with the quality of sound and just hearing one song from an artist. There were times where you listened to the entire album. So I want my kids to have that. So I guess to, to equate like, you know, yeah. records with, with good, good travel shows. Official prediction from Samantha Brown, YouTube is dead. TV <laughs> and record players are coming back. All right, lock it in. We'll check back in in five years. Records are huge now. Watch records my YouTube are huge video. Now. Exactly, they're very, they're, they're very big. And it's, and it's, it's the millennials. I know you're a baby boomer, but you know. Tim, you would understand. She had to be there. Yeah. You wouldn't understand that. I, I don't I don't know anything. I'm just a boomer. I'll just sit in the, the back. There's the crank. Remember, there was the crank still. So. Right. Phonograph. Right, right. Uh, I mean, speaking of old-fashioned, the traditional forms of travel, my parents are going to Europe this uh, summer with a kind of one of those traditional tour companies where there's like 40 people on the tour. And they are they haven't done a long-haul trip like this in a long time. And they're freaking out about not packing too much, but still having everything they need. What would you advise for how to pack for a long haul trip? Tim and I talk about packing a lot. What's your packing hack? How, how long are they going for again? They're going for 10 days. 10 days, okay. Um, so I never bring more than four pairs of pants, ever. And you just wear darker colors. And you wanna then just bring lots of tops and uh and um t-shirts and 
whatnot. Uh, I think we sweat through our tops more than our pants, right? And those can easily be washed out in a sink. I'm a big, I bring a little thing of detergent and then every night or you know, every good. two nights yeah. in my sink, you know, hold it up, put it over a chair, put it, and, and it dries perfectly on a hanger. But you do not want to be weighed down. Um, now that doesn't mean I always just carry on. I, I'm a big checker as well. I'm actually tired of carrying on. But I will. I still don't want to lug around a lot of heavy clothes. Um, I also um, tell people that my, my biggest travel hack is to bring old shoes, old sneakers. Never throw them away. Um, and then bring them on your trip and then leave them there. And now you've got more space to bring things back from your travel. That I like. Yeah. That is good. I also like the dark colors thing. So if you spill something... It's less likely someone's going to notice. You just keep reusing the same. Yeah, yeah. Pair of and pants. it's That's and, good. and for most of the part, it's like it's Europe. They're pretty. They're pretty casual there, right? You know, it's not like you're going to like Monte Carlo. So no, no one's going to care about how you're dressed. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, and the the, 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 care, the portable detergent thing. Bring one of those. Reduce the number of shirts you're going to bring by like three or four. You can just keep reusing the same two shirts. Just keep reapplying the uh, the detergent. That's good too. Love it. And there is all this new, like, smart clothing, right, with, like, wicking and stretch. You know, you never just want to, you never want to pack cotton, 100% cotton. That stretches out and just becomes kind of, uh, you know, uh, ugly. But anything with a little spandex in there, a little, you know, um, elastic, it comes right back. And so that's, you know, you just kind of look, I'll look a little better, if that's a concern of yours. Okay. Which I can tell just looking at the two of you, it is. <laughs> it's a, it's Massive. A, it's a real concern, but it's funny. I, I have gotten myself into the leaving of the shoes behind on the trip over the last few years. That's It's funny to hear you say that. I, I've never heard anybody else directly call that out, but I'm like cheering inside my head like, yes, I travel like Samantha Brown yes. now. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> I didn't know you do that, Tim. That's you. you, you, you I do. Leaving your shoes behind before leaving your shoes behind was cool. Right. I'm a big like minimalist shoe guy when I travel, and that's that's you're taking that even to the next level. So I like that. Shoes are a nemesis. Shoes are a packing nemesis. They take up so much space. I mean, I only travel with a backpack, and we've talked about this a lot. Mm -hmm. I literally like a school like a school backpack, not even like like a travel backpack. And I some I just like I have a system. It's been the same backpack for like the last ten years. Holds up really well. And I I just it fit it fits everything I need. Winter trips are different because they need like heavier layers. But yeah, yeah, it fits two pairs of shoes. But the shoes take up like a third of the backpack space. Even with a with a uh, a high school backpack, you still bring two pairs of shoes. High That's school incredible. backpack. Yep. Yep. So it's on the larger side, but it's such a high school. It's not a travel backpack. Just a high the school. The thing backpack. is, is he, he's never actually shown me a photo of this backpack, and I almost <laughs> don't believe that it's the size that he says it is. Yeah, Even yeah, though I've yeah. traveled I, with you, I don't know why I haven't noticed. You've it, seen but, it multiple times. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, I probably so have. That's my thing. Tim is a roll. Tim's a big packing cubes guy. Yeah, cubes. Which, no matter definitely. how many times he explains it to me, I, I just can't get on yeah. board with it. No, no, I'm, I, I like packing cubes as well. Definitely. Okay. Well, there you go. He's you got, right. The shoes. <laughs> don't, I don't like to hear that. On that note, this interview's over. We're done. Finally, <laughs> I, finally, I have some camaraderie because everybody comes in here and tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> he clearly has a child. He's an adult now. He has he has packing right, cubes. Right. 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 <laughs> Put the kid in the packing cube. Why not? Make it easier to fit. That, is that right. bad parenting? I don't know. Um, so before we want to close, I want to touch on one thing. Uh, when I when I think back to the travel shows I used to watch along with yours, uh, obviously I also used to watch Rick Steves. Do you have like a friendly rivalry with Rick Steves? You've both been around a while. Have you traveled with him? Um, Rick Steves is one of the biggest jerks you've ever met. 
That's all, let's go. That's what we want to hear. I'm only kidding. <laughs> Rick Steves is awesome. I've known Rick Steves for, I, I gosh, 10 years. And of course, I grew up with him too. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not too much um, younger than him, so I don't want to set us apart too much in age. Um, but I love him, and he's even better off camera than he is on camera. And you can make fun of him. Um, like, I'm always like, what's in the backpack, Rick? Like, just like, like, take off the backpack and let's see what's in there. Um, and I always, whenever we get together, I try to get him drunk so we can, like, you know, I could steal his Europe tips, just claim him as my own. But, um, no, he is great. We. I feel um, like he's a happy drunk. Yeah, well, I mean, he's um, a big proponent of marijuana. Oh, okay. Way to go, Rick he's Steves. He's a huge proponent for that. For uh, now, now it is legal, and um, so he's been very open about that. But um, he's amazing. Can I just say one thing that makes me love him even more? Maybe your audience will love him even. Go for it. Um, he donated like four million dollars of his own money to open up a woman's shelter in his hometown. That's that's, oh, that's awesome. That's pretty incredible. You know, yeah, we we get to we get to travel wherever. Um, and there are people who never do. Right. There are people who um, will never know the life we have where even just having one home is a challenge. Um, and uh, just to do that. So I just I wanted to put that out there. He's pretty yeah. Special. Yeah, that's great. I, I always used to imagine he always seemed like such a, a buttoned up guy. And yes. I, I, it, I always imagined him after the the, the filming stopped hitting the town going to like a crazy nightclub <laughs> bottle service absolutely just blacking out and raging and then like waking up like 6 a.m and just being again perfectly professional with that backpack buttoned up doing his job and i always wondered like what's 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 a rick steve's night look like so there we go now now I'm, that, that, that's a good that's a good show rick steve night we can wildly speculate I I know. Rick Steve Knights, Barcelona. Uh, right right next yeah. to the uh, drug-fueled Arabian Nights nightclubs. The Rick Steve's <laughs> Nights. Cool. And so before we close, just one more question for you. Uh, something I've always wondered. Are there any hotels, I'm sure there are, you don't have to name names, are there any hotels that you wouldn't return to? Ones that you've gone to for great hotels or other shows that are supposed to be, you know, luxurious hotels but at which you know the service was terrible or the experience did not live up to its five-star branding um i think it's the times where i've really disliked the hotel um to be honest i've usually been somewhere in europe (laughs) and most specifically italy like i don't know what the italians don't get about a good hotel room like they, some of the best <laughs> designers in the world come from italy like starting with michelangelo they they design lamborghinis and ducatis and for some reason the bathroom of your hotel room has just totally eluded them um if you've ever <laughs> stayed in a european or an italian hotel the bathroom your bathroom is not even a closet um, there's this strange sort of hybrid bathtub thing that you have to step into that have these like sloping sides. So you're going to trip either way. It's, I can't believe people haven't died. And then they give you this, like this, there's this, always this like, um, half plexiglass thing that's supposed to keep in the water from the shower, but it goes all over the bathroom. And then you've got one towel that's like the size of the screen right now. And that's all they give you. And then they give you attitude. Um, and so I have, I have, uh, about it, like asking for town number two. So I don't get it. Um, and I just, um, I've, we've been traveling a lot throughout the United States and then we go to Asia, 
We haven't spent a lot of time in Europe, and I'm fine with that because of the hotel situation. They really have to raise the bar. So there you go. That's me venting. That is me venting. Italian hotels. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, you really have to get that off your chest. Oh, well, now I'm, I just, I got to, yeah, it just, it gets my dander up. That's for sure. Michelangelo, known for his historic and stunning sculpture work, but not known for his hotel bathroom. <laughs> no, wow. no. And, right. and then if you go into any, and if I could just go on. Go on, um, please. If you go into any bathroom, like, you know, like a, there's a restaurant and you're, you just sat down to have a $10 cappuccino at, you know, some piazza. And, and now you go to use the ladies room and there's no seat on the toilet. They don't, they take the seat off. I don't, I don't know if that's like abusive. Like, I'm just, again, like what, why well, wouldn't you have a seat here? Like, I don't, I just, I think you might be on another like travel show. That's punks, American tourists. That's like, they're, they're filming the bathroom. They're like, look at this. This woman thinks there's, we actually don't have seats in Italy. <laughs> so I think this might be the next subject for places to love. It's interviewing the people who design Italian hotel bathrooms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like this is the mm -hmm. guy behind this cultural phenomenon. It's a cultural mm -hmm. phenomenon. You know, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, <laughs> they got to work on that. Well, Places to Love, how can people check it out if they haven't already? Where can they find it and where can they learn more about you? Uh, we stream every single episode. Uh, 56 episodes are available on my website right now, samantha-brown.com. All right, Samantha, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, the pleasure is mine. All right, take care, guys. Take it easy. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to News of the Day, and thanks again to Samantha Brown for coming on. First article we're talking about today is Fireworks and a Meth Burrito make the TSA's Top 10 Catches of 2021 list. So it's a, basically an article that includes all of the TSA's strangest things they've confiscated this year. That's right. Fireworks and a Meth Burrito were in that title. So we've got Bullets in Deodorant. What is that, Tim? Bullets in deodorant. Yeah, it's not really explained very well like that. But what I love about this story and about all of these is that the TSA provided a hilarious quote about each thing that they complimented or, excuse me, confiscated. For that one, it's this passenger must have been sweating bullets. So I guess they hid bullets in the deodorant. Interesting, yeah. innovative. A pistol, a uh, cleaver, bear spray, a machete, fireworks, a wine holder, a chainsaw, of course. And a meth burrito. What is a meth burrito, you may ask? Well, it seems to be something that someone who is hungry and also a meth addict uses to hide their meth in. Stuff it in the burrito. That's a topping you don't see at Chipotle. Right, and I love the quote for that one. You can't speed your way through security with this one. That's, uh, that's perfect. Because of speed. Ha ha ha. Speed, Tim. Not a cleaver idea to bring a cleaver through security at Harrisburg International Airport. Bear spray. Why is bear spray? I guess, yeah, I guess it is a weapon. Okay. I think that the funny thing, whenever I see lists of what TSA's confiscates, is that it's, it's always weapons. Like, nine out of ten of these are weapons. And why are people always bringing weapons on planes? You can buy something that, to defend yourself in your destination. You're safe on the airplane. Like, what do you, I don't understand what people think they're doing. Are they constantly carrying weapons on them and forget to unload them before they get on the flight and they get confiscated? Or are they intentionally, like, bringing a weapon on a flight, stupidly thinking they're not going to get confiscated? And, like, why do you need it in the first place? 
Yeah, no, that's exactly how I feel. I think a lot of the people that are trying to bring weapons on planes are the same people that, that uh, bring forth the argument that the world is safer with more guns in it. Uh, you, you know, these are the type of people that are trying to bring a chainsaw on a plane. Not guns, but the world is certainly safer with more cleavers. Wouldn't you say so? <laughs> oh, Take yeah. all the guns away. You know what? This is my solution. Take all the guns away, confiscate all the guns, confiscate all the knives, and give everyone bear spray instead. It functions like pepper spray. Someone's trying to rob you. You fucking hit them with bear spray. Down. They're done. A bear tries to attack you or rob you. Hit him with bear spray. He's done. It's all purpose, you know? So bear spray is a catch-all. Take away the guns. Take away the knives. It's versatile. It's The, the name of the game is versatility. With bear versatility. Spray. Give us all bear spray. Right. Okay. Uh, the next story that we're going to discuss today is that apparently... According to the Consumer Airfare Index report, flight prices are about to return to pre-pandemic levels. Now, they're saying that currently and over the last several months, average round-fare trip ticket prices have been about $234. Uh, on the low end, $649. On the high end, uh, we're going to be pushing that up to $315 on the low end in the coming months, according to this. It's curious to me when there are studies done about airfare prices because at the same time that you read these studies, you'll read and the next article is going to be like the ultimate hack to get lower airfare on your next trip. So is there a science behind it or is it all nonsense, Evan? I think there's it's like 60% science, 40% nonsense. Like I don't think they just pull those numbers out of nowhere. There's probably some degree of accuracy to them. But I don't think that I think the prices go up and down every day, every hour, depending on demand, depending on what fucking Omicron is doing. I was surprised that prices had gone down that much over the pandemic. I was under the impression that prices were higher than they had been before. Me too. Because of fewer flights being available and more people, higher demand, fewer, uh, less availability, maybe, especially now that people are traveling again. So I was surprised to learn that they were going back up to pre-pandemic levels i thought they were already way beyond pre-pandemic levels yeah i you know i thought so too and it's funny i've never really been able to grasp the concept of why flights are priced the way that they are you know because there is this you would think that in a pandemic when people aren't flying much airlines are going bankrupt you're gonna have to pay a little bit more to help cover some of these costs uh but it turns out that that's not the way that it is uh and i just don't get it you know what? I think I'd happily, and a lot of people would happily pay an extra 50, 100 bucks, whatever, to go on their dream vacation that they haven't been able to take for two years if it means being able to access a country again, finally, and having a flight route available that's convenient. I think people are more than willing to pay a little bit extra money if it comes down to it, just to travel again. I agree, Evan, and I think that's a good way to close it. Thank you for tuning in this week, and thanks again to Samantha Brown for coming on to share the behind-the-scenes perspectives of her life in travel television that was fascinating make sure to subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts leave us of course a five-star review and if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to i'm evan flow underscore on instagram and he's tim winger one also a big shout out and thanks to our producer alex halke executive producer katie hetrick our email marketing guru kelsey wilking Manador social crew and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.